Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> hey, I want to say good morning and welcome to um, those who are visiting with us, friends and family. We're so glad to have you. Name is Brandon Ziski, the senior pastor here at Austin Oaks Church. We want to let you know that we are a church that strives to be simply about Jesus. We believe that he's a game changer. And that's why everything we do as a church, we strive to help other people to meet, know, and follow Jesus. Um, I do want to take this opportunity because I have this opportunity and you don't to say happy Mother's Day to my own mother up in Wisconsin who is watching. I know that, Mom. I love you. Um, I am so incredibly grateful for you um, standing in the gap. My mom is an intercessor. She prayed for me when I was so far gone, and, and you are so kind and merciful. And so, Mom, I love you. Thank you so much. Happy Mother's Day. Um, but truly, moms are amazing, and I'm so incredibly grateful um, for them. Um, I want to give a quick update that we're really excited about as a church. And it's one of those things where it's like we make our plans, man makes his plans, but the Lord directs his steps. Um, five years ago when I met Pastor Charles from Africa New Life in Rwanda, we immediately felt connected in our spirits. We were just like, we want to do something together that's unique as churches from New Life Bible Church in Kigali and Austin Oaks Church here. Um, and just go, how do we make this relationship deeper than just child sponsorship? And so if you've been with us for the last few years, we've been planting churches in Rwanda. But one of the things that Pastor Charles and I, we've just been kind of like talking about and praying about underneath the, um, um, underneath the, you know what I'm saying, without telling other people about it. I'll get there, I promise you. Uh, under the radar, that's it. Thank you, BJ. Thank you, BJ. Um, and it's just because, like, we didn't know the Lord's timing. In fact, if I were to tell you when I thought this would happen, it was like in 2024, 2025. But the, as the Lord does so well and so often, he, he lays out his plan. And so I, I want to share with you just real quick, one of the things that we wanted to do was to pray through how do we develop kind of like these international residencies or missionaries where we maybe down the road we send people from Austin Oaks as missionaries there in Rwanda and also have missionaries from African New Life come and serve us. And so without further ado, I want to share with you that Alon and Linka, who were with us a few months ago or back around Easter, they're going to be here starting May 28th, and they're going to be missionaries here serving in our church for the next two years. Yeah. And so that's a really awesome opportunity for us to learn, but also just to be able to like have deeper relationships all over the world as we get to see what God is doing, not just here, but also in Rwanda. All right, we are in this series called Questions That Need Answers, and the heartbeat of this series is to be looking at specifically five questions that Jesus asks of us. Our tendency is to go, I have questions that I want to ask of God when I get to heaven. He, he's going to have to answer this one and this one and this one. But I think it's important for us to pause and slow down and to look at the questions that Jesus actually asks of us. And so this morning, the question that we're going to look at is a really deep question. Now, when you first read it, it can feel actually a little insulting. So I want to encourage you to feel the emotions when you first hear this question, but allow yourself to go deeper with it. This whole week, as I was prepping and praying through this message, it started stirring up so many things back in my life. 
things that actually started to like cause a little guilt and shame again because it reminded me of things in the past that the Lord had to pull out of me and heal me from. And this question is that question that allows us to dig deep and to drive into it. Also, I think this question is a beautiful question for Mother's Day because we're going to discover that we're going to see how God is a God of mercy and loving kindness. And I think that's an amazing attribute that we see in our moms as well. And so if you've got a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn with me to John chapter 5. And we're going to start at verse 1. John chapter 5. Verse 1, after this, a Jewish festival took place and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Bethsaida in Aramaic, which has five colonnades or five porches. And within these colonnades and porches lay a large number of the disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and realized he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. But while I'm coming up, someone goes down ahead of me. Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat and walk. And instantly the man got up, got well, picked up his mat and started to walk. And now that day was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. And the man replied, well, the man who made me well told me to pick up your mat and walk. Well, who is this man that told you pick up your mat and walk, they asked. So, But the man who was healed had no idea who it was because Jesus slipped away into the crowd that was there. Imagine for a moment you leave church this afternoon and you're driving down Mopac 290 or wherever you're going and you see a car broken on the side of the road. And as you drive past, you see an individual with his head underneath the hood and there's like this cloud of smoke coming out of there and you pull over and you have the nerve to ask him, is your car okay? Like it's kind of a ridiculous question. It's so obvious. Now imagine just for a moment, like you find yourself in a hospital and you're walking down the hallways of one of the units and you see a patient laying there in the bed. And obviously this patient is not doing well. There's some nurses around, maybe a doctor or two. And you go up to this individual and you ask them, hey, do you want to get better? Like it, it just feels like at first glance, just a touch insulting. Right? Like why else would they be at the hospital? Like they are there because something is wrong and they have the need to get better. But this is exactly the question that Jesus asked. He comes to this place that is known throughout antiquity that is supposed to have this magical superstitious healing power that's in there. And invalids and those who are like weak and broken and disabled, they come to this pool in hopes that when the water is stirred up, Right When the water is stirred up, an angel comes down, and whoever gets in there first will get healed. And so they come. And here we see a man who's been disabled for 38 years to a place where broken people go to in order to be healed. And Jesus asks him a question, do you want to get well? Um, yeah, no. Why do you think I'm here? Right? Like, just like put yourself in the shoes. That would feel just a slight insult. It's so obvious. 
But there's something powerful in this question that we have to pause. We have to pause. Because Jesus doesn't ask questions to insult people. That's not who he is. Like everything that Jesus does is good. And everything that Jesus does is meant to lead to life. And so if he's asking a paralyzed individual around the superstitious pool to get healed. And he asks him this question, do you want to get well? You have to know that there's something deeper going on. It's a very, very deep question. And it's a powerful question. And friends, I'm telling you, it's not always easy to answer, okay? So Jesus comes to Jerusalem. He comes to this place called the Pool of Bethsaida. Now, just a little bit of a side note, for many, many, many years, People would take this geography, the pool of Bethsaida, because they would never find it. There was no archaeological proof that there was this pool. We know where the Sheep Gate is. We can recognize where that is in Jerusalem. But this pool is nowhere to be found. So a lot of scholars for many years would say that this story isn't true. So therefore, the Bible isn't factual. So therefore, the Bible is all wrong. But lo and behold, in the 19th century, they discovered that right outside the Sheep Gate, as they excavated a little bit, they they found all of these pools, which would be called mikvahs, which is where you would go to cleanse yourself before you would go to worship. Now, a hundred years later, as they kept digging down further and further and further, they discovered that these pools are expansive and they're large, and there's five colonnades. Then those who were like, well, okay, we got to find another reason why the Bible isn't true. It's like th- these things happened. And, and this is a powerful story that we know that there was all of these myths and legends that were attached to what happened in this pool. In fact, some of your Bibles, like, you'll notice went from verse 3 to verse 5. And you're like, I, I, I know math. Where's 4? Right? And, like, they, they, 4 is like a footnote that's on the bottom of your Bible. And it says that some manuscripts add that an angel comes down and stirs up the water. The earlier manuscripts of the Gospel of John didn't include that, but they added it later to help bring context to the story. You see, what they didn't know back in those days was that there's this subterranean spring that every now and then would like feed this this pool with water and it would cause bubbles to happen on the surface. And because they didn't understand that there was this underground spring, they just made up this myth. Like, well, an angel comes down from heaven and stirs up this water and whoever gets there first gets healed. The pool was called Bethsaida. Okay, which means house of mercy or house of loving kindness. I don't know about you, but it seems rather cruel that God would set up a healing game. Think about it. Hey, I know roughly any normal day, there's 300 people that would sit underneath these five porches. And God's like, listen, house of mercy, we're going to play a game. Whoever can get to the bubbles first, you get healed. 299 of you. Try it the next round. Like, that, that's just cruel. That's not how God operates. It was called the Pool of Bethsaida because they were to go there to wash, and to purify themselves so they can go to the temple to worship. Sheep were cleansed in some of these pools before they were sacrificed. That was an act of mercy that God gave them. But now it turned into the superstition. It's no longer a house of mercy because what you see when you walk in there is a house of misery. Imagine 300 people, broken, 
disabled, just a bad lot. The smells, the groans, it's hot and humid. If you've ever been to Israel, you know what I'm talking about. It can't be a pleasant place. And because it's a high time in Jerusalem, one of the festivals, the city would swell up by 10 times. Scholars would say that around this pool, which has the capacity, seating capacity of 300 people, would potentially swell up to 3,000. One out of 3,000. House of mercy. It's not. Jesus comes intentionally to this pool, and there's something powerful and beautiful that we see in this passage. But before I get into that part, I want us to connect and place ourselves in this story because the reality is, if we just go, this is a physical healing story, we miss the significance and the meaning that is underneath it. In fact, the word that we see here about like lame and invalid is a Greek word, estheneo, which is really given us the best picture of like they're beyond helpless. But it, it's the word impotent, which means without power. There's, there's no ability. They're, they're absolutely weak and hopeless. And so we got to start to make these connections because this is not a physical healing story. Even though that happens, this is actually a story about being made whole, about forgiveness and being made right, as we'll see later in this text. So the reality is, is every single one of us, at some point in our lives, we find ourselves actually lying beside a pool of Bethsaida. Because we're all helpless. We're all broken people. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all been looking for something to fulfill an itch, a longing, a desire. And we've done that in some ways that are less than like noble. We've been sinful and we all know it. You ever find yourself saying, man, I wish I could do this, but over and over and over, you can't get yourself to actually do it. You have good intentions, but it's like everything about it is like working against you. Because we have sinned, we are spiritually paralyzed. And friends, listen, we all have our pool of Bethsaida. Like, why did these people come to this pool? What was their motivation? to get healed. They had hope that something would be resolved. There was a longing, man, can, can you take me there? A lot of these people couldn't get themselves there. And so they would eventually come to that pool. Why? Because there was a hope and a longing that something would happen that would resolve their internal issue. So we have to place ourselves at this pool because if we don't, this is just a fun little healing story, but it's so much more than that. It's so much more. So what we see as this story unfolds in verse 5, one man who has been there has been an invalid for 38 years. Some of you in this room are not 38 years old. And if like you're in high school or younger, you're just like, I can't wait to get old. You're like, no. <laughs> You know, it's like now I'm like, you know, I'm only, I don't know how old I am, 42. It's just kind of like, huh, I want to go backwards. <laughs> you know, but like you just start thinking about it. I was like 38, that's four years removed. And it's just like what things in my life like have been instilled for that long of a time. 38 years is a long 
time. Jesus sees him lying there. And Jesus already knows. We don't know exactly how, how he knew he's been there for so long. Ask him this question, do you want to be healed? Jesus is unknown. Nobody knows who he is. He shows up to this throng of broken humanity that's supposed to be the house of mercy, but it's anything but. Jesus fixes his gaze on this one man who's been there for 38 years. And he's probably actually one of the worst out of all of them there. Because, like, nobody really can live in that kind of condition at that time for 38 years. And we know, we know because later on Jesus makes the connection that he did something in his life that caused this illness or this perilous, um, like, caused him to be paralyzed. That, like, we know that he's older than 38. And so to be at least invalid this long at that time in that kind of circumstance, he's lived longer than what people would have expected. He went there hopeful to be healed. He went there longing to finally have the solution to his problem. Imagine that not happening for 38 years. You start to kind of, I don't know, lose hope, feel a little despair. Maybe you just kind of accept the lot, not like in a, man, I got to make the best of this, but more in the self-pity. It actually starts to define you. You place your value and worth on it because it's how people see it. And maybe you might even use whatever that issue is that's causing you to lay there to get some attention or even some sympathy from other people. Like there's some powerful stuff in this. For 38 years, he's been there. 38 years. That's hard for me to get my mind around. Now, some of you in this room, I I, I want you to listen. Some of you have been struggling with a weakness. You've been struggling with the issues, with hurts, mistakes. Some of you in this room right now are struggling with addictions that you don't want anybody to know. You're struggling with a sense of brokenness. You carry around shame and guilt, but you act like you don't on the outside. But inside you feel that dark cloud. Maybe you're carrying all of this confusion. Maybe you're living in this world of lies. I don't know what it is. But maybe you have grown to get used to it. You've gotten accustomed to it and you're just settling in it. Maybe you're comfortable in it and maybe you've allowed your identity and your value and worth to be attached to it. And it's been so long. Maybe you first tried to deal with it and there was a sense of hope, but because it kind of keeps repeating and repeating and repeating and not really changing, that you just feel hopeless. But I have to go here and say something that might be tough to hear, but it's, it's truth spoken in love. Because, like, if we were to be honest, and here's one of the reasons why this question is so hard, is that sometimes we use these struggles, we use these areas of weakness, the, these, like, internal things that cause a paralysis inside, and we might actually use it to avoid personal responsibility. And you know if that's the case by saying, if only this would happen, then I wouldn't. If this were to change, then I wouldn't have this problem. If God were to do this, then I wouldn't have this issue. If that didn't happen to me, then this wouldn't happen. 
Or maybe we actually just like the way we are and we're able just to kind of like, kind of like a little bit be more dependent on systems or structures or even other people. And this is the other part that's actually really hard is that we can use it to get sympathy. We can use these areas of brokenness in our lives to even like control relationships. Man, you don't understand, it's just the way I am. We can even use it to manipulate relationships. Do you want to get well? That's a tough question. Do you really? Really? I mean, here's what I want to say to you. For some of you who are at that spot right now, who where you can go, I identify a bit. I feel like I'm at that pool. There's some things in there where maybe I've given up on hope on. He sees you. Because that's the first thing we see that Jesus said, like we see about Jesus. He walks in and he sees a man. He sees him. He knows exactly why he's there. He knows exactly what he's been thinking, what he's been feeling, and where he's at in the present. He sees you this morning. He sees where you've been. He sees right where you are, and he's going to meet you right where you are. But you've got to understand, he doesn't want to leave you right where you are. He sees you. The secrets, the addictions, the burdens, the brokenness, the status of your marriage, the estrangement maybe with your relationships with your children. He sees you. He sees you trying to earn proof and validation and love from other people and even God. He sees you and he knows that you're paralyzed, which is why he's coming to you. Which is why it's called the house of mercy. Do you know how mercy and compassion starts? You have to see people. Jesus, God in the flesh, walks into the house of mercy, which is turned into a house of misery. He himself, who is the embodiment of mercy and loving kindness, walks into this place, looks at a man, sees him, knows him, and asks him a heart-wrenching question. And we have to ask the question, why? This is the beauty, my friends, of the gospel This is so beautiful because Jesus knows that unless we begin to recognize things inside of us, recognize the fact that we are spiritually impotent, that we are spiritually weak and powerless and helpless, there's nothing he can do. The gospel is all about what he has done for us. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And this is exactly what we're seeing unfold in this moment. Do you want to get well? I was thinking about this, and I went, huh, this is kind of funny. For those of you who know me, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, totally. Like, I want to be healthy. Right? Like, come on, anybody here not know what to do to be healthy? Anybody? Exactly. Do you want to be healthy? Do you want to lose weight? Do you want to get fit? Do you want to fit in the jeans that you wore in high school? Like we, we all know what to do. And so do we really want to? Eh, I do, but I would rather. 
So I started thinking about this. Anytime I go to the doctor, either because I'm sick or I'm injured, you know how it goes. You go there and the doctor, in theory, gives you the, the here's the, the diagnosis, and then here's the game plan, and maybe the game plan is medication or, like, physical therapy. I really thought about physical therapy because I've been through it a few times, and I, thought, I was like, man, this is really um, connecting with me because they would give me the game plan, right? And you're just like, okay, I went there because I needed to get better. And I had apparently the desire to want to get well, but when the doctor said, here is what you need to do, I would take that and go, yeah, I don't know. Right? Like, especially with physical therapy, I remember when I busted up my ankle, they're like, you need to come to physical therapy three times a week. You need to do these exercises at home and da, 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 da. And I wouldn't do it, but I would keep up my appointment, which is so stupid. And I would go to the appointment, and they're like, is it getting any better? I'd be like, no. They're like, are you doing your exercises? No. <laughs> so what are you doing? Do you really want to get well? Like, like, we really need to ask ourselves this question because it's not as easy as you think it is. Like, there's, there's a cultural thing that, that's true in, in the East that, it, like, I don't, I'm a little afraid to say because I don't want to sound cruel, but I'm talking to like what I've read from scholars back in those days, back in those times. And they actually would say, there's this phrase that they would say that an Eastern beggar often loses a good living by being cured. So like there's this reality at play, whereas as he's sitting there in the house of mercy, people would actually give him tithes and offerings because they're going to the temple. Right, and so like you gotta imagine, he's seen you know people struggling and toiling. They're under the Roman oppression, right, and seeing a hard way of living. Thirty-eight years, you have to change your whole way of living. Like, is it as easy as you think? Do you want to get well? Of course, I want to get well. Do you? How does this happen? The word "want" is a powerful and beautiful word in the Greek. It gives us this idea, is your intention to get well? Is, is, are you resolved to get well? Like, do you desire to be better? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to get well? That's kind of like the essence of this question. But you start to go, wait a second, he's asking that question of someone who's helpless, Right? Like, we, we tend to, like, default into this thinking of, like, well, what is that Bible verse that says God helps those who help themselves? It's not. It's not a Bible verse. Like, like we, we think that. We're like, okay, I got to do this. And, and as I do this, then God will do this. It's like, no. No, no, no. Like, not at all. Like, we don't help ourselves. And then God's like, okay, cool. You're doing it. Let me help you now. It's never that way. He's asking the question so that you can realize that it's impossible. So how do we desire to get well? And how does that start to kind of like surface and become a reality? Like there's something beautiful here that I want to connect. And it's this word well. Is, is, just think about that word better as like wholeness. Think of the word shalom. It's like holistic peace. Do you want to get whole? Mind, body, soul, spirit. It, this is why I wanted to like say this is more than just physical healing because the reality is you can be paralyzed and still live in complete freedom and joy and peace in Jesus. This man was living in none of it. 
Like this, this is the real thing that Jesus is trying to heal in this man. Do you want, do you desire to be made whole? It's an impossible question. What he's asking him is tough. Verse 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going another steps down before me, what do you notice? (laughs) I mean, Jesus kind of asked a yes or no question. The man immediately does what we so often do. We focus on the problem, and then we find ourselves blaming the circumstance. Sir, I would desire very much to get well, but I can't get myself there. How true of a statement. And no one helps me. People don't care about me. They just want their own. They only care about themselves. So here I lie. What can I do? Yes, I want to get well, but I can't because of X, Y, and Z. You fill in the blank. What are some of the excuses that you hold that you can't break out of this or that habit, get out of this or that shadow, find healing in this or that? What is it that you're going, here's the excuse? And part of the question is for you to confront that, to realize that you are staring at a circumstance and you're using that for the reason why you are still paralyzed, even though it could have had an effect. But here you have the son of the living God who conquered death and grave speaking to you of something that looks impossible but is actually possible. We are so tempted to do this. And I love what Jesus says. He doesn't say anything like, buddy, stop it. Stop making excuses. Come on. He just looks at him, and obviously he recognizes that something was stirring in the side of this man, that maybe hope wasn't completely extinguished, that there was a flicker or a glimmer of hope inside of him, and Jesus just looked at him and said, get up. Which would rather be insulting, number two? Cruel joke. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got well picked up his mat, and started to walk. I love what Jesus didn't do and what Jesus didn't say. Okay, Bob, he's Bob. We're going to call him Bob. Bob, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to sit here with you. We will wait together to when that water bubbles up. We have no idea when it's going to happen, but I'm here with you, and I'm going to be sure. I mean, I'll fight. I'll push people down. I'm going to make sure that you're the first one in there. He didn't say that, nor does he say, well, hopefully someone can help you next time. Nor does he say, hey, it looks like you're going to be here for a while, so let's, let's make you as comfortable as possible. Let me get you a new mat. Let's clean up your area. Let's use some Febreze, and maybe let's do a little feng shui around here so that way you feel a little bit more at home. Like, none, not at all. He just immediately, he sees something in this man. The desire to be made whole isn't completely dead. And so he's asking him to do something impossible. It is impossible for a paralyzed man to get up by himself. It's impossible for you to become spiritually whole, whole in and of yourself. But it's possible only because of the one who's commanding you to do it. 
When Jesus says, get up, it's the same phrase that is used anytime you see a resurrection story. This is a picture of someone moving from death to life. Get up. Lazarus, get up. Get up. That's the gospel. You are dead in your sins. There's nothing that you can do to get yourself off of that spiritual mat where you're laying by the pool of Bethesda. He has to come. He wants to ask you that question. Do you want to get well? Well, I would if this and this and this. He's like, listen, you need to realize that you're helpless, you're powerless, and that's why I'm here. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Friends, listen. If he commands it of you, If Jesus tells you, if Jesus invites you into something, he will give you the strength, the faith to obey it. By himself, impossible. But because Jesus said it, it's possible. You can do this because Jesus is inviting you. Do you realize that everything we walk into in the Christian faith, forgiveness, reconciliation, or whatever it is, is you responding by faith, moving towards Jesus. Get up. And that's the problem. Is we know what Jesus is saying, but so many of us don't want to get up. Do you want to get well? Yes, okay, get up. I know it looks impossible. Get up. That's your first step. Come on. It made me think of a story. Airport Lake growing up, or not growing up, in college, there was this lake we called Airport Lake, and there was a swing that was on there. And I remember going to this rope swing with our friends, and there was like two different tiers. There was like one that was like 10 feet high, and there was one that was like, I'm going to exaggerate, 100 feet high. Because that's how it felt to me. Okay? And I remember like peer pressure, you know, it's like we're all doing the 10-foot thing, and next thing you know, some crazy guy goes up on top, and then he goes even higher. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, everybody's doing it except one person. (laughs) Me. And, and, like I've, and I don't have a fear of heights, so I have no idea what the deal was. And I remember climbing up there. And I remember going out to the branch, and all of a sudden, like, I looked down into this black, green water abyss. And I was like, I'm going to jump literally into hell. This is, this is the end of my life. Not doing it. And, like, I panicked, and I froze. And the longer I, like, grabbed onto that branch, the harder it got to go. Okay, count down to three. Okay, one, two, three. No, 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 let's just wait. I wasn't ready yet. Wait, wait, wait. One, one, two, wait. Not yet, not yet. And it's like the longer that took, harder it got to the point where I actually had to climb down and look really, really bad in front of my friends. Some of you know exactly what Jesus is telling you to do. And you're still saying, God, heal me. God, come on. God, listen. And he's saying to you, get up. Get up. You can do this because I'm telling you, you can do this. You need to break that addiction of pornography. Get up. You need a, your marriage to be healed and reconciled. Get up. I will give you the power to do it. Whatever it is. And then you pick up your mat, which is a powerful image of the old is gone, the new has come. Like this is, it isn't going to stay there anymore, which is this picture of a fallback plan. 
Like, the guy's like, imagine, like, what if I can't walk tomorrow? I better leave my mat here in case I need to come back. He's like, no, leave no provision for what once was. The old is gone. The old is dead. The new has come. Paul says in Romans 6, make no provision in the flesh for sin. You are no longer slaves to sin, but now you live for Jesus. You pick up your mat and you move on. Some of you who struggle with certain issues, and, and like specifically, if you've ever struggled with an addiction, and like that's a little bit of my past, so I get this, that if you leave provisions still around you, you're going to go back to it. 100%. Nah, I won't. I'll be strong enough. Stop lying. Pick up your mat. He gave you the power to have new life. Now move on and walk in the new life. Which is why he says, get up, pick up your mat. And now you walk in newness of life. And you keep your eyes on Jesus. I don't know where you are at this morning. But what I want you to hear is that God is a God of mercy. God is a God of loving kindness. He's not expecting you to have it all put together. He sees you and he loves you. Not for who you should be, but for who you are. He knows what you've done. He knows where you've been. He knows what's been done to you. And he's still coming to you out of mercy and loving kindness. And he's saying, come on. Come on. So if you're tired, tired of living in hopelessness and that issue, maybe it's so secretive it never has ever come out. If you're tired of despair or maybe you're tired of being comfortable and complacent and whatever that is, I trust the Holy Spirit will speak to you in it. Get up, pick up your mat and walk in newness of life. And I want to just speak real quick. As the, I'm going to have the worship team come up. I just want to speak real quick on an issue because the pool of Bethsaida was supposed to be a house of mercy. And it changed into something that it wasn't supposed to be. The church is supposed to be a house of mercy. And sometimes the church can be a house of misery. Amen? Haha, <laughs> thank you. There wasn't too many. But like seriously, because as we were, if you were to go on to this story, there's a reason why John said, and now it was the Sabbath. And then the Pharisees, the religious folks, who came up to this man, saw him carrying his mat, which is very intentional why Jesus did it. He was breaking an oral tradition, not actually a command of God. And they were like, not surprised. They weren't rejoicing that this man who has been paralyzed for 30 years is now walking in the power of God. Like, they didn't rejoice at all. They were like, why are you doing this? What makes you think you can get healed on the Sabbath? What makes you think that you can pick up your mat and live a different life? Who told you to do this? I don't, you know, I don't know. Some guy just told me to get up and pick up my mat and walk, and so I did. And the whole story goes they wanted to kill Jesus because of that. And Jesus comes back and finds this man, two reasons why, like to protect him from that, to remind him, he goes, see, you are made whole. 
Like religious and church, whenever they do this, whenever they say you got to get yourself right and then you can, that's a house of misery. That's legalism. But the church is to be a house of grace. So Jesus comes and says, see, you've been made well as a means of protection. Then it says, stop sinning. So away something worse doesn't happen to you, which is a connection to saying, your old life caused this. Don't go back to it with the freedom you have. The newness of life is also a responsibility that God gives us to walk in. So as, as I end now, I just want to simply just pray this question and I want you just to wrestle with it. Do you want to get well? Do you really want to get well? Lord, I pray that you and your spirit would speak to our hearts and that you would do the ministering. God, I pray against the, um, the enemy that wants to maybe stir up guilt, shame, condemnation, Lord, that wants to attack us. Lord, I pray for those who maybe have experienced church hurt and maybe have given up completely on the house of mercy. And all they can think of is misery. Lord, I pray that your grace would overwhelm them. Lord, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters in this room who find themselves laying at the pool of Bethesda, feeling paralyzed in whatever condition, whatever circumstance they find themselves in. Lord, I pray that your grace would break through and that they would recognize that you see them. Maybe that's all they need to know right now. You see them. You know them. You know exactly where they're at. And Lord, I pray that you would give them ears to hear the powerful resurrection command to get up. God, grant us the faith to do what feels impossible, but to know we can do it because you make all things possible. So Jesus, we ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would heal hearts, save lives, break addictions, restore marriages, bring children home. Lord, we pray that this church would be a house of mercy, a loving kindness. So, Lord, we just ask for you to do your work now in Christ's name.